If you're into TV or movies, you've probably heard of J.J. Abrams. He's the creative genius behind things like the TV series Lost and the recent Star Wars movie The Force Awakens. Abrams tells an interesting story about how he developed some of his creativity. One day when he was a little boy, his grandfather took him to a small magic store in New York City called Tannins. Every shelf of this little store is kind of overflowed with all the wonders of magic, and something caught his eye. It was called Tannins Mystery Box, where $5 buys you $50 worth of magic. Imagine that, $50 worth of magic for only $5, what a deal. Think of what might be inside. And so he bought the mystery box, and he brought it home. And you know what? He never opened it. After all these years, he keeps it unopened in his office because of the giant question mark on the side of the box reminds him of the allure of mystery and the unknown. I think a lot of people approach God that way. God is sort of like that mystery box, something curious, it's interesting, but never opened, never explored. Most people believe that there's something out there, something beyond ourselves, something we call God, but they don't go much further than that. In fact, if they're honest, they tell you that they don't want to get any more specific about God because a mysterious and unknown God is sort of easier to handle, easier to keep at arm's length. As long as I don't open the box, as long as God remains distant and vague, God can't really make any demands on my life. I don't have to change. I don't have to do anything. Just keep the mystery box closed. And that idea appeals to people in our age of diversity. There are a lot of cultural pressures not to get too specific when you talk about God. After all, aren't all religions basically the same? Aren't all our different names for God just different ways of, you know, talking about the same thing? Like in English, we say water. In German, they say Wasser. In Spanish, Agua. Isn't it all the same? I mean, so if we call God Vishnu or Allah or Jesus, isn't that... Just a different idea of what's inside the box. And since we don't know what is actually in the box, no one person's idea is better than anyone else's. It's sort of like the old story of the blind men who are examining an elephant. One blind man feels the elephant's thick round leg and declares an elephant is like a tree stump. Another blind man kind of feels the wiggling trunk of the elephant and disagrees. He says, no, no, an elephant is like a python. And the third blind man, he examines the little short tail and he says, you're both wrong. An elephant is like a piece of rope. Well, the point of the story, we're told, is that all the blind men were right to the extent that they each had only partial knowledge of the elephant. They only knew the leg or the trunk or the tail. The real elephant encompassed all that and so much more. So then the analogy is made to God that all religions are right in their own way because they are based on only a partial or limited knowledge of God. But the problem with that elephant analogy is that it's based on a false premise. It's based on the premise that the, the elephant just stands there. The elephant never moves, doesn't bat an eye. The elephant never responds to being touched. The elephant stands perfectly still, more like a statue than a real elephant. A real elephant is going to interact with its environment. You grab onto an elephant's leg, and that elephant might pick up that leg and stomp your head into dirt and crush it like a melon. You might pull on an elephant's trunk 
and you might get a face full of water, or the elephant might wrap that trunk around your waist, lift you off the ground, and toss you into the bushes. And what about the poor guy holding the elephant's tail? If he stays there long enough, he is in for a big surprise. And that's why they say if you're ever in a marching band in a big parade, you never want to march behind the elephants. Because if you do, you're going to have to buy a new pair of shoes. You see, the elephant is alive. It moves. It can interact with the blind man. It can show the blind man what it is like. It can reveal itself to the blind man. Their limited view is going to have to change because the elephant itself can show them what an elephant is really like. The Bible teaches us that this mystery called God is not a statue that we examine like blind men or women. That's the fallacy in kind of all the religious studies courses that that treat God simply as a topic. God is not passive. God is not mute. God interacts with the world that God created. The Bible tells us God desires to reveal himself to us. In fact, God must be the one to reveal himself. Otherwise, we wouldn't know anything at all about God's character or nature. God always takes the first step. God always initiates his own self-disclosure. He tells us what kind of God he is and how he wants to be worshipped and served. We don't seek him to discover this. He takes the first step and the second and the third. God breaks out of that mystery box to show us himself so we can know exactly what he is like. If God didn't do this, then yes, all religions would be equally right and equally wrong. Doesn't matter which one, because on our own, our ideas of God would just be, you know, wishful thinking, superstition, or a projection of our own selves. But you see, that's why Jesus could say, I and the Father are one, John 10, 30. He claimed to be God's self-disclosure. That's why people wanted to kill him. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians 1. The Son, meaning Jesus, is the visible image of the invisible God. That's why the book of Hebrews begins with these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Now listen to this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful world. The exact representation of his being. The Bible is the story of God's self-revelation that then culminates in Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. So if you want to know anything about God, just look at Jesus. The Bible shows us over and over again how God reveals himself. In the book of Exodus, we see God's self-disclosure particularly to a man named Moses, whom God chose to lead the ancient Hebrew people out of slavery in Egypt. And along the way, God reveals more and more of himself and what he is like to Moses and the Hebrews. One of the climactic moments in the Bible, literally, is a mountaintop experience. It's when God gives Moses what we now call the Ten Commandments. I've done a lot of research and reading about the Ten Commandments, and I've got to tell you, most of it was incredibly dull. There's a lot written about how the Ten Commandments are the basis for Western civilization, the basis of our legal codes, uh, whether or not they should be displayed in courtrooms across the country, uh, how the Ten Commandments uh, kind of established our moral framework for our culture, how important it is for us to obey the Ten Commandments, 
and what a better world we would be living in if everybody on the planet just, just perfectly obeyed just one of the ten. You know, I mean, it's all important stuff, sure. But when I think about so much that has been written about the Ten Commandments, I think it really misses the most important nugget of what we find in them. You see, more than just a dry, legalistic do's and don'ts, each commandment is a way for God to reveal His own character and His nature to human beings like you and me. These are not just a list of arbitrary rules that God came up with. No, they're God's way of breaking out of that mystery box so that we can know what He is like and have a deep, satisfying life, the kind that He wants us to have. That's what we read earlier in Psalm 119. The psalmist finds delight, freedom, hope, fulfillment in God's law because the law, the commandments, they open up to him the very presence of God in his life. There's a, a blueprint for living in God's word, a blueprint for living your life because it connects you with the master architect, the one who knows best how to design and construct your life. God reveals himself through this law. Now, I wish we had different words to use besides commandments and laws because in our culture, those words have a negative feel. Laws are sort of a stop sign. A commandment is a restriction, a rule book, you know, God uses to spoil all your fun. No, the psalmist saw the law as a gift that reveals a deeply loving God, a God who desires to make our road through life smoother and more joyful. David discovered again and again in his life that the commandments made life better because the law connected him with the living God. So let's see how God reveals himself in verses 1 through 3. It says, And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The word translated here, Lord, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. This is a mysterious, almost untranslatable name of God. If you Go back to Exodus 3. Moses first encounters God through this bush that's on fire but is not burned up. God begins to speak to Moses and to reveal himself to him. And God's got a job for Moses to do. As I said, go back to Egypt. Become the deliverer of the Hebrew people. But Moses comes up with one excuse after another about why this is a bad idea. God goes through all his objections. And finally Moses says, if I go into Egypt, they're going to want to know what your name is. All their gods have names. What will I call you? If it really didn't matter what religion anybody followed, if all religions were basically the same, uh, God could have chosen one of a thousand different ancient names already known in the Middle East for their deities in, in the Middle Eastern world. He doesn't do that. He gives his name, Yahweh, the I am who I am, or maybe the one who is and always will be. This word is actually a verb. God uses a verb when he gives his name, almost untranslatable. Existing might be another way to say it. God's name is an action. He's not a statue, inanimate God. He is a dynamic, eternally existing, always in motion, creative, alive with movement, a being pulsating with power. And that's the name God chooses for himself. And he's not done yet. He says, I am Yahweh, your God. Your God, he makes it personal. And so when we talk about having a personal relationship with God, it's not something that we make up. It's embedded in Scripture, embedded in God's self-disclosure. He desires relationship with you. 
at the core of who God is is not some vague universal energy field. The real God is personal and can be known and experienced personally. This God can be your God. That's amazing. The dynamic, eternally existing one cares about you and me. And I don't know why except that at the core of God's being is love. God pulsates with love, pulsates with love for you, a love that won't give up or go away. And if we could only grasp the depth of this one reality, we would let go of so much of our stress and worry and anxiety. I am Yahweh, your God. But what does this God say is his primary action? He says, I deliver, I rescue, I release. That's his number one characteristic. He delivers. Here in Exodus 20, God is reminding Moses and the Hebrews of that historical fact. They used to be slaves in Egypt. God acted to set them free, and now they are free. He wanted them to remember that he is not a punisher, a condemner. He is the one who sets people free. He brought them out of slavery. The Hebrew word for slavery meant a a narrow place, a place of confinement, a place of restriction. Have you ever felt like you were in a place like that, that you were stuck in a narrow, confined place, a place where you felt trapped, the place of your sins, the place of your worries? This is good for us to know because though we're not physically slaves in Egypt, we do sure find our way into some narrow places. This Yahweh, our God, is a deliverer from whatever has us trapped. God says, I am who I am and I am the one who delivers and sets free. And I say you shall have no other gods before me. What we believe matters to God. What we believe shapes everything about us. Our beliefs are the filter through which we look at the world. How we feel about our relationships, how we treat people, how we treat ourselves, how we handle our problems and our setbacks. Our true beliefs are what dominate our thinking so that in life you always move in the direction of your dominant thought. You always move in the direction of the beliefs that dominate your mind. In many ways, our beliefs then become a self-fulfilling prophecy. We become like what we believe. And so God says, believe in me first and foremost. Believe in me. Make me your dominant reality. Make me your dominant belief. Make me your dominant thought. This is the first priority of life, the number one thing. If we don't get this right, If we don't get this issue solidly settled in our hearts, everything else is up for grabs. That's why God puts this word at the beginning of his words to Moses. These words designed by God to reveal himself. God says, put me first. It's as simple as that. One thing we have to understand is that God is very exclusive. He doesn't share his position with anything or anyone else. He wants first place in your heart. God first in your life, in your family, in your work, in your recreation. God first in your finances and your future. God demands and God deserves top priority in your life. He is not going to play second fiddle to anything else. He deserves to be number one in your life because he is God and you're not. He spoke the universe into existence. He made you. If he hadn't made you, you wouldn't be here. Everything you have in life is from God because he has given it to you. He's allowed you to have it. Every breath is a gift from him. And he designed you to be in relationship, in a relationship of dependence with him. It's the only way life works. Your life oriented or centered on God. That's how you were designed to operate. When anything else is 
takes that center spot in your life, you're going to be off balance. You're going to be eccentric or off key or out of sync. If you want things to fall into place, if you want things to make sense, then you've got to put God first in your heart. Now it seems kind of odd that God would frame the challenge this way. You shall have no other gods before me. Are there other gods? Is that something we have to worry about? This word from God can seem like, I don't know, a waste of ammunition if it warns against gods that just don't exist. But we need to understand something. This, was a, this moment with Moses was a revolutionary moment. A revolutionary moment in human history. Only one God. Up until this moment, there really was no such thing as monotheism. Nobody had just one God. Outside of the Hebrew people, the, Hebrew, the people of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, there was no such thing. Religions were all polytheistic. They worshipped many different gods. And they all had different layers of their gods, different tiers. Egypt had hundreds of gods modeled after various animals, crocodile, lion, snake. Various ethnic groups had their own ethnic god that they hoped was stronger than the god of the tribe next door. The Philistines had Dragon. The Moabites had Shemosh. The Ammonites had Molech. And they didn't just worship their own individual ethnic god. They also had fertility gods and storm gods and sun gods and sea gods and fire gods, harvest gods. There was a god for everything. And they all had to be kept happy. And while a person or a tribe might have a favorite god, they certainly wouldn't think of narrowing their worship down to just one. If the god or gods of other groups or nations seem to have more power, then you could just add that god to your collection. That's really how the Romans kept uh, peace in all of the countries they conquered in the ancient world. How they, they, they said, keep your long list of gods, just add the Roman emperor <clears throat> to the top of the list. Then we got no problem. What Yahweh said to Moses, to the Hebrew people, and through them to the world, is that there is no competition between petty gods. There is only one true living God. There are myths, there are stories, there are delusions, there are superstitions, there are evil and deceitful spiritual forces that can enslave and defeat. There are counterfeits and there are fakes, but there is only one true God. Suppose you were to come over to my house and you had a headache. So you asked me, Jeff, do you have any aspirin? And I went to my medicine cabinet and I didn't have any aspirin, but I happened to have some arsenic and the bottles looked the same and the shape of the little white pills was the same and I kind of believe arsenic will be just as good as aspirin, so I give you the arsenic fully believing that arsenic would be good for your headache. Well, guess what? It doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't matter how sincerely I believe it. I am wrong, and you're probably dead. It does matter what we believe and what we believe in. The blueprint we follow to build our lives matters. We must settle this first commandment, or the others simply won't make any sense. If we give ourselves to anything less than the one true God, we will cheat ourselves out of the kind of spiritual life God wants us to have. Make this your motto, TGIF. Today, God is first. Today, God is first. When we put the one true God first, we are better equipped to engage in life in all its fullness. Better equipped to live in harmony with all God's plans. We're more able to create healthy relationships. With God at the center, we can see more clearly what is good and what is beautiful and everything else. We begin to get our priorities right and we begin to live that way. 
This is the basis for Jesus' words in John 10.10, a great verse to memorize. John 10.10, I have come so that you might have life and life in all its fullness. That's his invitation. Follow me. Get personal with me. I am the God in the flesh, God's highest form of self-revelation, and I want to be at the center. Put Christ first in your life. This is why we have an exclusive God that offers something exclusively. He understands you. He believes in your full potential. He knows how unique and special you are. He has beautiful plans for your life. So start your day praying to him. Talk to him throughout your day. Grow by reading his word. Follow his leadings. Let him guide your steps. Love other people like he loves you. Seek him first and everything else will fall into place. He is Yahweh, the existing one, the deliverer, and he loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Yahweh God, we thank you that you are our deliverer. You are the one who sustains us. You are the one who reveals yourself to us. And we pray right now through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would continue that process of revealing more and more of who you are to each and every person who's listening this morning, Lord. May Jesus Christ be revealed to us in all his fullness and all his splendor. May we be drawn to him almost like a giant magnet because we are overwhelmed by your goodness and your love and your mercy and your power, Lord. We thank you that you take the first, the second, and the third step to reveal yourself to us and that what we see is that you are a God of power, a God of justice, a God of mercy, and a God of love. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.